This is TV Take, Variety's television podcast. I'm Daniel Holloway. This week, Senior Features Editor Danielle Terciano talks with Bradley Whitford, star of National Geographic's Valley of the Boom. Later, critics Daniel Daddario and Caroline Framke will discuss Fox's live musical Rent and TNT's I Am the Night. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's television podcast. I'm Danielle Terciano, Features Editor in Television here at Variety. And today joining me on the podcast is Bradley Whitford, star of Valley of the Boom for National Geographic, and also um, upgraded to series regular for season three of Handmaid's Tale. So a lot to discuss. Yes. Thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here, Danielle. So I would like to start with Valley of the Boom, because it is a really interesting format. And I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about you know, how much of that format you knew going in, and how much of that might have been the draw. Uh, I read the script, and I had a familiar, terrifying feeling about some of the most interesting things I've ever done in my acting career. Of this is a completely fresh way of storytelling, and I honestly have no idea if this will work at all. Uh, and it really made me want to do it. And Matthew Carnahan is uh, somebody who was this figure in Hollywood who many of my dearest friends have worked with and adored, like Alice and Janney, and have always said you guys would love each other. Uh, and that, uh, you know, it made me made me want to do it. The material, you know, it's like the origin story of this world we live in now uh, that reaches this digital world which you know, reaches into my children's brains and rearranges the neurons and has suddenly become uh, as ubiquitous as water and we don't even think about it anymore. And it's very interesting uh, to see uh, how that all began. And it seemed very pertinent to what's going on today because it feels as if we're beginning to understand that uh, we have to assert our humanity on Mm. technology or it will take us over. And you can see the kind of naive, gold rush joy of these guys coming up with... uh, you know, we deal with the globe.net, which mm-hmm. is basically Facebook. Um, you know, and now we live in a world where democracy was deeply threatened because Facebook thought, oh, everything's <laughs> just going to be great. Right. Uh, so it covered a lot of fun stuff. But the way the story was told had the same uh, 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 joy, uh, nonlinear mm-hmm. uh, kind of rodeo fun that seemed appropriate to what was going on then. And then the guy uh, Barksdale, mm-hmm. James Barksdale, I get to play is a really made me laugh. I got to see all these uh, documentary um, footage of him and he's I believe a profoundly decent uh, guy with uh, a subversive sense of humor 
it was it was a scary thing to do. I've played real people mm-hmm. before, but I've never really, uh, you know, had to play them when I knew that they were cutting from right. uh, documentary <laughs> footage of them <laughs> staring straight in. So you had to make a, a. It was a scary choice. Like, am I going to really try and imitate him? Uh, how do I capture him mm-hmm. without? you know, doing a caricature uh, of him, you know. Well, that's what's interesting because, I mean, the format, it, it does ha- obviously have documentary style talking heads with the actual t- Silicon Valley guys. Then it has your scenes, which are obviously acted. Then there's musical numbers. There's a lot going on. Rap but, battles, musical numbers, yeah. yeah. But in saying that, you know, he's there. He's on set shooting some of these talking heads. Was he accessible to you? Did you want to meet him and kind of work <laughs> with him? Because you're ultimately... Two sides of the same Being coin on him, the story, yeah. I had a work schedule that precluded me from getting together with him. Okay. We live in it. Uh, there are a lot of things wrong with the digital age Uh-oh. in which we live. <laughs> but one of the uh, unqualified successes of the uh, internet world uh, is the way actors can do research. Mm. I mean, when I was doing Hubert Humphrey, if I had wanted to play Hubert Humphrey uh, 20 years ago, I would have to get on a plane and go to the Museum of Broadcasting in New York and check out one hour of Hubert Humphrey. Instead, I could drive around playing his speeches over mm. and over. So I was able to do the same thing with Barksdale. He's okay. done a lot of... Uh, I, I did not communicate with him. And, okay. and part of it, I don't know. I don't necessarily respect that decision. I mean, there's a danger in mm. in meeting those people, and I can't tell if it's a legitimate one or if I'm just a coward. But at the same time, I mean... It, it is not your your portion of the story is not a documentary. You are playing a version of this man. Yes. So I mean to to meet him and then to get too sucked into who he is today is not who he was then. Yeah, it's not who he was, and I could look and see you know exactly who he was. I really want to meet him. Okay. I really want to meet him now. I hope he's. <laughs> I, I would think it would be incredibly bizarre to have yourself portrayed by anybody. In any way, so I have a lot of sympathy for whatever that reaction might be. But mm-hmm. sometimes you get positive ones. And what was your knowledge of him and Silicon Valley at the time this was all taking place? Like, was this always something you were interested in, or did you become interested in it with this show? You know, I knew a little bit about the wild, wild west of it all mm-hmm. because I, uh, my best friend's best friend, was a guy. Uh, who in the 90s had a a thing on the internet and an IPO it was you know it was a site and at one point i think was worth uh 500 million dollars and and this was a guy who did not come from money or mm-hmm. anything and all of a sudden he had five maseratis and <laughs> a garage with an apartment in it with an Italian mechanic to take care of the Maseratis. And then something happened, and it started to go down. 
And uh, this guy went from having won the lottery very quickly to being in tax trouble, and I mm-hmm. think now sells used cars. Mm-hmm. So I had seen the, this guy um, go th- go through that craziness. I did not understand the internet w- world, and the reason Barksdale understood it. He had a, he had a, a profound insight, even though he ended up, you could say, losing out to Microsoft that Netscape did. Mm-hmm. But he understood something intuitively because he had been at FedEx. He understood systems. He understood if you're building FedEx, there is a reason to spend money you don't have to build an airport in Fairbanks because – once you make this a completely, again, ubiquitous system, people, it will pay off. And that's a bet uh, that, I mean, very recently people were saying, well, Amazon doesn't make any money. Well, now it makes a massive amount <laughs> of money because uh, it is completely connected. So he understood mm-hmm. systems. But he had, I, I mean, it's it's interesting what... And it goes to something that's interesting to me now, yeah. uh, which is he had, he had a, uh, an old school kind of sense of responsibility to not just have a big IPO, but to create a company uh, that took care of its employees mm. uh, forever. He had a, he had a weird – I don't think he's a lefty guy at all, but he had a real s- sense of social responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get, uh, just in terms of political stuff that I'm interested in, I get frustrated with companies who I know agree with us politically get a pass. Uh, Apple should be doing far more, uh, uh, lobbying about climate change. You know, so should Amazon. Um, we we tend to give it, it, think these people have magical powers. It's exactly what we did with the oil barons mm. and the steel guys. It's um, and then we celebrate them when they give a minute fraction of yeah <laughs> uh, of the lucre that they have <laughs> they have accumulated. Um, and it's interesting to see how uh, uh, idealistic. It's similar to the birth of television, Mm. you know, where they were, uh, you know, they were talking about how television is going to be, you know, a national museum and, you know, the arts are going to go out to the public and then, you know, cut to cops. (laughs) Art has many forms. Yes, it does. <laughs> I'm not going to not cops. Yeah, no, um, I've, I've enjoyed cops. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you feel like some of those aspects... I just hope I'm never on. <laughs> right, well, right. That's why we enjoy it, though, right? Because, you know... It's, it's other people it's in other trouble. It's other people's problem. Other yeah. people in trouble is a lot of fun. Um, do you feel like some of those those aspects of James, like the social responsibility and the way he cared for the company and the way he was trying to do so many things, quote-unquote, right at the time, is that you're in for the character? Is that where you feel like you connect to him? Like, or do you even need to feel like you connect to your characters? I, 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 it, it feels shallow, but there are hooks. Mm. Uh, 
that can this may sound pretentious, but but can be kind of irrational. There was there was a specific interview. where he did a thing with a sigh, a small sigh, and he had a sense of humor in his forehead and a weariness in his uh, soul and a concern, these kind of three things going on at once. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, I get this Mm. guy. I get this guy. Um, I don't have to love them. I do love I I, I, I do love this guy. uh, I love what he represented and the responsibility that he was bringing to the table. He was not there to get a super yacht. He was uh, a businessman uh, with ethics trying to understand this world of young programmers that he did not understand and trying to wrap his mind around how this thing was going to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a moment in... I think in the first episode where, you know, somebody's saying, listen, we have 15 million people on the Internet. I mean, and this was not long ago. Um, so it was changing rapidly mm-hmm. and nobody knew how it was, you know, how it was going to end up. Do you feel like there are things in the show that are cautionary tales for today, for the way that businesses on the Internet are working today? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I mean, and it, you know, I think there's a more universal um, lesson, just in terms of beware of thinking that people who are successful have any idea what they're doing. Okay. Uh, let alone that the consequences of what they're doing will be completely. Uh, positive um, uh, you know it became a you know it was a it was a it was a gold rush out there um, and uh, you know again it's very hard to tell what you know what, what you know when Twitter started it sounds mm-hmm. like a stupid idea to me <laughs> you know it sounds like a really dull, right? like if somebody came to me and said hey do you want to invest in this thing and and what is it well mm-hmm. it's a thing w- where you can you know say three sentences well why why wouldn't you just put it on Facebook I don't know I don't understand right. why it works and and I guarantee you they didn't either Okay. So I don't, I don't I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, you know, I, I also think there's a, a larger lesson. I think the big thing under my, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people's uh, some people got very rich. Mm-hmm. A lot of people got uh, screwed, and I think we tend to forget um, uh, and and I think that contemporary. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of the dot-com companies today get a kind of ethical pass mm. uh, when, in fact, their bottom line is just to make as much money as possible. And I, I worry about that because they are very, very powerful, and I don't think they completely understand the extent of the consequences of what they've created mm-hmm. and I think given the wealth that very few people have accumulated their responsibility to um, 
uh, make sure uh, that we at least make an attempt to make a more equitable society. I mean, the show obviously is entertainment, but there's a lot that we're learning, yeah, yeah, yeah. too. So, no, no, go ahead. It's not a history lesson. I mean, what? that's what, what's fun about this is, is, is that Matthew just finds this incredibly joyous way uh, uh, to tell the story, which, well, I, which yeah, that's resonated what I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, you are learning a lot, but you're learning a lot in some very unexpected ways because of. You mentioned earlier, there's a rap battle and there's some musical numbers and things like that. So, out of those elements, what did you find the the most intriguing or the most daunting to take on as a production? Well, the weirdest. I mean, the weirdest thing just uh, that I had to do is uh, you know uh, breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, which is funny because, like, it reminded me they're basically, you know, you feel like you're doing this, you know, funky, you know, revolutionary thing. It's basically an aside in a Shakespeare play. Yeah. You know, um, and there's there's incredible, you know, I, I, I feel like Matthew's kind of on to something. Like, I, I would like to see this form of storytelling mm. because I think it's... Uh, joyous, entertaining, uh, uh, moving, uh, informative. I want to see it applied to other arenas. Okay. I mean, I'm not comparing it to Hamilton, which was, I think, one of the greatest. <laughs> I was going to ask you what other arenas. One <laughs> of the greatest things I ever uh, piece of art uh, uh, created in the last century. But when I walked out of Hamilton, I was like, "Wow, that's a great." way of storytelling mm. I would go to the Jonestown flood told in the Hamilton way I don't think they should do that okay. <laughs> uh, but it was uh, no I think it's the last thing you never know I mean it's the last thing they should do is 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 imi- imitate that um, but it's it's just it, it's it's a freed up way of storytelling it reminded me uh, the Ken Burns Civil War documentary mm-hmm. uh I don't think young people understand. It was it, first of all, if they've never seen it, they should see it. But I remember being stunned be, because I realized this is a better way to learn this mm. than a reading a book or b taking a course in it. This is a, a really intimate, mm-hmm. really emotional. Uh, it's using music. It's using narrative to get to the truth of this mm-hmm. in a way that a book or a course cannot. Yeah. And I think that I- I'm excited about places in storytelling uh, where that can happen. I mean, do you also feel like you kind of need to take those risks today just to break through the clutter of all of the television that's out there? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, you do. You know, uh, you don't want to do it at the expense of of quality, but there really is a problem. Uh, there is so much wonderful, wonderful uh, work out there that uh, to get it to find, you know, what is this? Is this a series? Is this limited series? Is this a special event? What is the what is the best way to you know to get it to register? I was interested in, with this. I, my eighteen year old son uh, 
was obsessed, uh, watched the trailer, and like it was fascinating mm-hmm. to to young people who again take for granted this insane w- world that didn't exist when they were born. Right. I mean, and speaking of obviously all of the great television, you're also on Handmaid's Tale, which is another great example. Yes. Um, so tell me, I mean. Season the second season when we we were introduced to your character, I mean he obviously was seeming like an eccentric guy. We didn't know what side he was going to fall necessarily right away in terms of did he believe in the Gilead that Gilead had become, even though he had helped build it. We see at the end of the second season he's made his choice. He obviously is helping people escape, so he obviously doesn't believe in it full force. Was that so? Tell me about. What, what it took for you to get to that point, yeah. I mean, what did you know? How much were you? Uh, how much did you want to lay in the groundwork right away that don't hate him? He's not a bad guy. Well, I, you know, it was interesting. Uh, first of all, uh, as a, a truly lucky person who's had a lot of amazing, uh, lucky acting experiences. It is a profound privilege to be on that show because for me it's like, it's like I get a uh, I was obsessed with the show long before there was any I, remote possibility that I would be on it um, uh, and it's like getting a guest shot in Godfather 2 I mean like you're on the set and it's like you can't believe you're in there I knew that this was a very interesting uh, character one of the joys of actually doing series television is you don't know everything. You actually learn it as the writers learn it. Uh, and I think a lot of the character is still in play. Okay. Um, I remember talking to Bruce and to Warren Littlefield when it was becoming a possibility, and they said, do you want to know? And I was like, no, I think it'd be cool to hmm. play it without knowing. And then I realized that's just pretentious. <laughs> well. And then I realized, oh, if you're telling me I'm a I'm a commander in the Handmaid's Tale, if you're bringing up the possibility that this may not be what I expect, then I already know the answer. Right. Um. But then he's just. Truly, one of the most fascinating, f- fun uh, guys to to play, and there's a kind of a, a, a Robert McNamara. There's a great documentary. I think it's called The Fog of War. Mm. Um, Robert McNamara was a brilliant businessman uh, who basically executed uh, and escalated the Vietnam War and late in his life uh, understood what he had created. So there's an early hook was this kind of similarity to me about a guy whose brain had exceeded his humanity and his humanity was maybe trying to make a comeback. Is it important to you now that you'll be around longer in season three to get flashbacks to see who he was before the Gilead? That it's funny. I haven't. Uh, uh, 
I've re- I won't say anything, but I've read the first <laughs> couple of scripts, and um, yeah, it would be interesting. Uh, it would be interesting to to see to see where uh, where he came from. Um, there is something about not knowing which I can't justify Mm -hmm. like as as an actor but there is uh, there's an element of discovery the less the less I know I mean I think about it but then when you play the scene you realize oh 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 it can go over Mm. over there it's a Honestly, truly, like it—it it, it is the acting version for me of a boxer puppy running in a dog park. I mean, I just—it's so much <laughs> fun because he's such a weird cat. I mean, you know, you mentioned obviously like you had an idea of where it could go based on the fact that Bruce and Warren said to you, "Do you want to know?" But I mean, would you that, have signed on if it was just a regular commander what, doing what, terrible what, what, things? Would I cared if he was a horrible person? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, no, I have no problem playing uh, horrible, horrible people. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, if it's if it's on that show. And, you know, phenomenally well done and, you know, sort of nuanced and not idiotic. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And as I'm saying this, I'm imagining listening to it and have people go, you were in Billy fucking Madison. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that was fun. You know, I mean, it's a different... No, if it's fun... I didn't mean to swear. You let us... No, you're allowed to swear. It's fine. Um, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, I, I don't, I don't have like, I need to be a good guy. Sure. Uh, you know, I need to be a bad guy. The other question, I, there's a question I get a lot, which is, uh, um, you obviously choose projects that have a political, cultural. <laughs> well, yeah, these especially. R- right. Yeah. Yeah. This, that, Amades, you know, obviously West Wing and everything. Yeah. And the answer is those are the opportunities that I've that you know that I've gotten, and I feel lucky that they are. Um, it's a very lucky thing I've had to have these things that are sort of phenomenal creative experiences that are about something that people are worried about culturally. But I mean, it's not 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 that there's anything to worry about anymore. <laughs> okay, uh, I mean, but those are—I mean, those are some. I mean, those are not all of your roles. I mean, you do—you have a, a wider, diverse range. It's not—not not everything has a very strong political bent. Yeah, most of it doesn't matter. So, do you? I mean, but do you feel like there's something to be said for like those are the things that today people are attaching the most to? Well, I—it's I, a complicated question, but. Um, uh, I really believe that there is a tremendous opportunity to communicate in a way a culture needs it uh, by attaching flesh and, and bone and and heart uh, uh, to issues that are dividing us. In a really pretentious way, I think that I think that um, 
all art is political because it obliterates the myth of separateness that we all walk around with and that some horrible people who become president try to exploit. Uh, There is also a really interesting thing that I believe, which is I actually think fiction is better at getting to the truth than a documentary can be. I think the if I walk into a room and there's an old man staring into a fireplace, that's not the truth of what's happening. The truth is the monologue that Shakespeare would write mm. about this man's loss and, and, and regret. So I, I think in... Uh, although I always poo-pooed, you know, what West Wing could do, like showing not even interior monologues, but but showing what you don't see in public discourse because all we see is, you know, rhetorical professional wrestling. Um, but seeing politicians who aren't sure about what they want to do and are working it out uh, is the truth mm-hmm. and is, is you know is is something worth seeing I mean handmaid's tale they they didn't know what they uh, were walking into and and it's interesting uh, you know Bruce um, the the show is has gotten some criticism. I hadn't heard of it, mm-hmm. but I think more in England or something about gratuitous violence against women. Mm-hmm. And Bruce is absolutely unapologetic about it. He will reel off, you know, ten people who got beheaded and yeah. women who got beheaded in Saudi Arabia the day before. This is going on. It is very interesting to do a show where, uh, you know, right at the moment where it becomes crystal clear that. Uh, uh, if anything, misogyny almost trumps racism. Uh, you know, and and this horrible uh, moment uh, where women are, are are being attacked and diminished. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so interesting because you know I read her book in I was in New York. It was in the, it was in the eighties. You know, and it was terrifying then. Uh, and now, what's what's really terrifying in the show is when you have these flashbacks and you see these. Well, there's riots happening. Oh, uh, um, you know, uh, there was a scene where they kill all the reporters. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're decapitating reporters now. Is it the same? Uh, uh, you know, with. Uh, babies in cages. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's an extraordinary time. I don't want people to think watching a fucking television show is going to do anything about it. Uh, but I hope it um, spurs people to action. I actually think I, I, I like uh, political stuff. Since we're talking about political <laughs> stuff, I won't talk about anything going on right now. But. It's very interesting to me that people on the right 
understand what I think is the truth, which is that politics is the way you create your moral vision. Mm. We, here in Hollywood, we think it's culture. They are right. We are wrong. It helps, but uh, culture won't help you if you have a pre-existing condition. You actually need a law. Hmm. And Will and Grace helped a lot, uh, but we needed to have a Supreme Court uh, uh, who would move us forward toward the unfulfilled promise of uh, uh, you know of this country. So every, I, I, I'm I'm worried that participating in culture makes people feel um, uh, like that's enough, hmm. and it's not because the, the powers that repress and exclude um, uh, they're involved in government yeah I mean but at least it's putting things in front of people yeah and giving them opening their eyes to other ways yeah and yeah yeah and those flashbacks are heartbreaking in um, in in ham it's, it's incredible to be on that shit they're all so <laughs> I mean, they're so good. Um, and I know as an actor, um, when everybody's blood is flowing and everybody's emotionally dilated and everything is working together, that is the result of leadership. Mm. And that's. Uh, you know, it's Warren, it's Bruce, uh, uh, and you know, at Ground Zero, it's 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 Lizzie, who's just extraordinary and phenomenally kind and responsible, uh, and that uh, just dilates everybody and makes it work. It's 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 a uh, what we call in show business a good gig. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here My today. My pleasure. My pleasure. Fox's live version of the musical Rent will air January 27th on the broadcast network. Daniel D'Addario and Caroline Framke previewed the telecast, as well as the TNT drama I Am the Night, which premieres that same evening. So first we're going to do something a little bit different and talk about something that neither of us have seen yet because neither of us can see it until it happens live, and that is Rent Live, which is airing Sunday night on Fox. This is obviously the next in a long line of live musicals that broadcast networks are trying to bring back and make a staple. But Rent has been in the works for a really long time, so far as we can tell, and is obviously a little tricky for maybe a broadcast network to um, to put on. So I'm really curious to see how that's going to go. I'm interested. I was never a huge Rent head when I was younger, <laughs> but I am familiar with the broad themes. I'm interested that this is what they're putting on when the live musical category has generally been much more focused on family fare ever since it came on with the Sound of Music that NBC did and their for a while annual tradition of a Christmas season uh, live musical for the whole family. This is definitely more aimed, I think, at our demographic, like adults. Yeah, and I think the only real comparable one was Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I believe was also Fox. And It was also Fox. That one was actually taped, which makes this right. an interesting contrast. And it was still, like, it was. you could definitely tell that it was still straining to work with the format. Um, I don't think that was one of the more successful ones that have happened. So 
I am wondering if they're how they're going to adjust for that. Obviously, this is live, so that is different. And the cast is really interesting. Yeah, tell me about that. Um, well, the bigger names so far as there are <laughs> um, is Tanache is going to be Mimi, uh, Brandon Victor Dixon, who was recently Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar Live, and it was great. Is Tom Collins. Vanessa Hudgens is Maureen, which should be fun. I'm really interested to see that one. She was, I, if you can't tell, I was a Rendhead when I was younger. <laughs> um, she recently played Mimi at a Hollywood Bowl production of Rent, I think. And, But I think Maureen's actually a better fit for her. She's a really showy sort of... Um, I think it's going to be fun. And then Kiersey Clemens is Joanne. Mario is Benjamin Coffin the third. But maybe the most interesting one for me is Valentina of RuPaul's Drag Race fame um tapping in as angel and i have not seen valentina perform as a live musical performer that much no no i don't think any of us have um it's interesting briefly for those who are not rupaul's drag race viewers uh (laughs) which we both are valentina valentina this season especially this currently airing season is really notorious for living vibrantly and out loud in an exuberantly dramatic way. She is constantly starring in her own telenovela. Yes, absolutely. God bless her. And that makes her seem in a way like a perfect fit for a Broadway musical. All we need to know is whether or not she has the pipes, but we'll find out. Right, and we'll find out live. So for a lot of reasons, I'm really interested in how this is going to go. Obviously, we can't really say one way or another if it's going to be totally worth you watching but i think it'll be interesting no matter what yeah the last live musical fox did i think was greece and people really loved that that. was pretty good that was like maybe the most critically successful of them all so maybe they've cracked the code in a certain way and i will say that i was extremely skeptical of vanessa hudgens as rizzo in that and she was great yeah no so so this is definitely one to watch um and potentially even to if all goes well to wait for the emmys (laughs) um speaking of Things that may well be Emmy nominated as time goes by. Uh, TNT, after The Alienist, is making another big and bold bid for limited success, limited series success with I Am the Night, a collaboration between star Chris Pine and director Patty Jenkins, who also work together on the Wonder Woman films. I recently went to London and interviewed the pair of them together on the set of the upcoming Wonder Woman sequel Mm -hmm. uh, to discuss Wonder Woman a tiny bit, but I am the knight a lot. And (laughs) their relationship is really fascinating. Uh, The series is extremely dark and Pine is pushed to very dark places by a director he really trusts. And although he is one of the four men named Chris who work in superhero (laughs) films in Hollywood, he actually, I think, is trying the hardest to break out of the escape velocity of this genre and do really different stuff. And his role as an alcoholic, like broken down tabloid reporter and photographer who ends up undergoing a journey to help a young girl find out who she is definitely represents another step in his evolution. I I think it's a pretty fascinating performance. Um, Caroline, I know you reviewed the show and I reported on it. So give me a little bit of your critical take. Well, I think it's really interesting uh, to see Chris Pine in a sort of limited series format for sure. I, I think it's a really interesting next step for him. I'm not sure I would have pegged this as particularly being the show that he would have done next. So for that reason, it's interesting to me. 
I so a little bit more about the story is that it's about it's a period piece about a girl who finds out that she has connections to this very sort of infamous Hollywood family and goes to try and figure out what that means, who they are, ends up finding out a lot of stuff she'd rather not. And it's connected to one of the most famous Hollywood mysteries of all time, the murder of the Black Dahlia. I won't tell you how or why, um, so you can see that for yourself. I think it's definitely trying to pursue the noir mystery genre um, extremely hard to the point where a lot of times it can be very blunt, but that's kind of the style that it's going for. Uh, Patty Jenkins, I think, directed the first two, and then two are also directed by Victoria Mahoney, who's an extremely good director who's been steadily working in TV for a while now, Um, most notably on Queen Sugar. She's going to be the second AD on the new Star Wars. So she's doing really interesting things, and I actually think that her episodes sort of get the balance of the tone the best. Um, The ones that sort of lean more into horror and thriller, I think really work. Um, it's six episodes. I think they. I'm, I'm never one to advocate for more, for more TV because I like things being briefer for my sake and also the stories. But I do think that it could have used even a couple more episodes. I think the mystery, the mysteries that it ends up exploring needed a little bit more room to breathe and sort of connect to each other. I've seen five, and I don't know how it will end or how that will come together. But my instinct is that eight episodes would have maybe been a better fit for it. I will just say that in the process of reporting my reported piece, um, I spoke to the head of programming at TNT. And after years and years of doing very open-ended mysteries, she the mandate there really is for closed-ended. Her exact quote was, mysteries beg to end. And I think that may be behind the concision somewhat, but I can tell you that there is not going to be a true detective season two style. <laughs> I am the night season two. They are really set on giving this a conclusive and hopefully a satisfying ending. All and right. that's their mandate. So, Well, I'm looking forward to that. It premieres on Monday. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for uh, listening. And there's always more TV where that came from. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with Leslie Headland, co-creator of Netflix's Russian Doll.